0: Thank you for listening to this Table Church sermon podcast. Table Church exists to invite people to the way of Jesus. We do that by living on our four core values. Pursue God, create belonging, do justice, and make disciples. So join us for four weeks as we focus on the things that we are called to. In this series, we are learning what these core values mean to us and refocusing ourselves on what matters most. As always, if you need anything at all, please check us out at tablechurchdsm.org or you can reach out at hello at tablechurchdsm.org. God bless, and thank you for listening. Hi, um, my name is Eliza, and I'm going to be doing the scripture reading for today, which will be found in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Welcome. If you're new here at Table Church, I'm Phil Wiseman. I'm the lead pastor, and it's my privilege to welcome you here today. I hope that you felt right at home. And be sure to stop by the Welcome Center. We have a gift that we would love to give you, Pastor Megan and I, on your way out the door. So, when you read the New Testament, what we find there, um, surprisingly, I think, is that the New Testament writers spoke a lot in the language of war, battles, fights. You see a lot of that imagery throughout the New Testament. For example, Jesus says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Peter tells us to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And so these metaphors of war are all throughout the New Testament. Don't even get me started on the book of Revelation. Like, war is like a central theme in that book. But here's what's interesting. For all of this talk of war and battles and fighting... What's fascinating is that the early Christians were unanimously nonviolent. In fact, it's not until like Emperor Constantine, like 300 years after Jesus, that you start to see Christians entertain the thought of like fighting literal wars. Up until this time, they're, for all of their violent metaphors, they're incredibly peaceful people, more willing to die themselves than take the life of another, even if it's an enemy. That's because the war that they talk about, the war that they were fighting, was not against nations and it was not against people. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so yes, we're at war, but not with people. We're at war with something else. It's the clear teaching of the New Testament. There are other forces that are vying for our allegiance and our lives. And the expectation is that every Christian will fight. You've been drafted. The question is, will we succumb to the enemy or not? Now, I don't get a kick out of using the language of war. I just, I don't know, we're, you know, Christians in the most country with the most powerful military in the history of the world and more guns than people, like, I'm not sure if we need more violent metaphors in our religious language than we already got. And so I don't ever really bring that stuff up, but the fact of the matter is, it's unavoidable. It's there. We're at war. You've been drafted, and we must learn to fight. And so the key is to remember who the enemy is and what our weapons are. Now, the word that we use for learning how to fight this battle is the word discipleship. Maybe the best English translation for us or the best English word for for what we're getting at here might be the word apprenticeship. We're called to be apprentices of Jesus Christ. He is our master, our teacher. And our job is to spend our lives learning to live like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did the way that Jesus did them. We're finishing a sermon series today, it's been called Focused, and we're focusing on the things that we're called to as a church, specifically our core values. Table Church is called to invite people to the way of Jesus, and we have these four core values that that everything we do falls underneath those core values, and so here they are, you can see them, lighting's not perfect, I know, but as best you can tell, read these out loud with me, Here, here they are, pursue God, create belonging, do justice, make disciples, so those are the four things that we're called to do as a church, and today we're focusing on this last one: make disciples. Now, when we planted Table Church, people, as I was kind of you know trying to gather a core team and stuff like that, uh, people would often ask me this question: they would say, "What makes this church unique? Des Moines has lots of churches. Why do we need another church in Des Moines? What makes you so special?" And my thought on that is, number one, I don't know why, I mean, I'm not trying to be special or unique. I'm, we're not doing this to be better than every other church, you know, that we're doing this because there's hundreds of thousands of people in Des Moines that don't know Jesus. And I don't see myself as coming to fix churches that aren't doing it right. I see myself as coming to join the team, right? Like we're all doing this together. We're all trying to reach people and it's going to take all of us. And so it's not that I think that there's anything special or better about Table Church. That's not why we launched But if I were to say what I think might make us somewhat unique compared to some other churches, it is this. Here at Table Church, we have a very intentional process for discipleship. We are very intentional about this. We have what's called our discipleship pathway. And I'll get into the pathway a little bit more in a a minute. But basically, our goal here is that everybody would partner up and, and be discipled together that we'd actually have a discipler, or that we would be making disciples ourselves. It's our basic training for the war that we're in. In the classic book, The Art of War, Sun Tzu said this. He said, know your enemy. You don't have to read very far into the Bible before we start to see some of the tactics of our enemy. Genesis 3, the serpent comes at Eve with a two-pronged attack. Number one, first he attacks our ideas. He says, did God really say? See what he's doing there? He's trying to get us to question the character of God. Are God's words really true? Can I really trust God? Did he really say? This is about getting us to question what's true. If he can change our ideas or our worldview, then he's winning. And second, he attacks our desires. It says that the fruit was pleased, looked good for eating and was pleasing to the eye. You see, if, if he can get us to want the wrong things, the battle's basically over because humans are absolutely brilliant at rationalizing the things we want. Like we can find a way to make, convince ourselves that what we want is what we should also do. So in just the third chapter, we've learned the enemy's pattern. He attacks our ideas and our desires. He wants your truth and he wants your heart. In his book, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer summarizes the enemy's strategy pretty well. It says, It's deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. I'll say that one more time. It's deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. That's it. The enemy attacks our ideas, our desires. And it becomes normalized. And pretty soon, it's just, no, that's just, that's just what you do. And we don't question it anymore. Listen, I have no doubt that something like this is what's in the back of Paul's mind as he writes the first two verses of Romans 12. He knows that there are deceptive ideas and disordered desires that have become normalized in society. And so he says to the Romans, don't conform to that. Be transformed instead. Now, I want to pay close attention to this text. This is a a pretty popular text. Uh, Many of us, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this passage before. And so I I want to pay close attention to a few little details in this passage that might kind of help us open it up. First of all, Let's compare our translation that we heard read today, the NIV. I want to compare it to, the, to a different translation. First, let's read verse 2 in the NIV. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, here's what it says in the NRSV. It says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your, of your mind, of the mind, it says. So, the the difference I want to zoom in on right now is this. The NIV says, do not conform. The NRSV says, do not be conformed. Now, I don't think that there's any tremendous difference necessarily in this. I don't think it's like, that one's definitely wrong. That one's definitely right. That's not the case. Um, Translation's more complicated than that. But it just so happens that most translations agree with the NRSV, and I... I also think that, technically speaking, that's the most literal translation from the Greek. Do not be conformed. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because when we read do not conform, like the NIV says, you know what that kind of suggests to me? It kind of suggests that I can choose whether or not I'm going to conform or not. Like, it's kind of like up to me. Like, hey, hey Phil, just, just choose not to conform. Okay, cool, I just won't. I'm not sure it's that easy. And so when I, when I read the NRS feed, it says, do not be conformed. Well, that reminds me that maybe I'm a little bit more passive in this process than I think. Maybe there's forces at work on me that are trying to conform me. And I think that's a crucial thing for us to remember. And I point this out because we modern Western people, I think, We think too highly of our rational powers. We think too highly of our ability to just kind of self-actualize and self-determine and make ourselves who we want to be. I don't really think that's how it works. I think that we are, are not necessarily masters of our destinies in the way that we're accustomed to thinking we are. And the ancient people, they understood this. They understood that we are shaped. At any given moment, there are just so many different influences coming at you. And so this idea that, you know what, I get to decide who I am, I'm not sure I buy it completely. Your past, your ancestry, your location, like so many things go into shaping who we are, not least of which our culture. We are shaped. I'll put it this way. There is something that is trying to form you. There's something that's trying to form you. So do not be. Conformed. When you think about it, this notion that we can choose for ourselves, you know, that's just the idea that the enemy would want us to have. In his famous book, the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis, it's this book about a demon writing letters to another demon, basically coaching this demon on how to be a demon. And so he's, he's giving him advice on how to be the best demon he can be. And here's what Screwtape says He says, Our policy at the moment is to conceal ourselves. That's the enemy's policy at the moment, to conceal themselves. They don't want us to know that they're working. They don't want us to think it's just me deciding all the things I want to do. So the less that we realize we're being conformed, the happier screw tape will be. Now, moving on, the next verb in the sentence, both translations agree on this one. They both say, be transformed. Be transformed. See, Paul doesn't say, transform yourself. That's crazy, right? We know this. We can't transform ourselves. If we're going to be transformed, it's going to be done by a power other than, this, other, other than ourselves. It's going to be done by God. We can't transform ourselves any more than we can save ourselves. It's a work of God in us. Now, is there ways that we partner with God in this process? Yes. But it is God who does it. So, we're parsing verbs here. This is deep Bible study that we're up to. I got one more thing I want to point out in our, in our uh, we're going to do one more little translation comparison. The NIV says this, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. NRSV says this, do not be conformed to this age. Okay, so again, one says do not conform to the pattern of this world. The other one says, do not conform to this age. Once again, I'm not going like one's wrong, one's right. That's not at all what I'm doing because um, this is way below my pay grade to decide how the Bible should be translated. Uh, but I do think it's helpful to point a few things out. First of all, the word world is not in the, in the text. Um, like the, world, the word world that we see in like John three sixteen. God so loved the world. You know, that, that word's not there in this verse. It is the word for age, eon. Um, And so the reason I bring this up is because for Paul, an age is not just a duration of time. For Paul, an age is a duration of time that has like a character to it. It's got like a personality. It's got a flavor. And and here's what else. That personality, it's almost like an age... It's a, is a, is a season of time or a period of time with a mind. And that personality wants to draw us into it. Okay? It wants to suck us in. That's what an age is. It says, do not be conformed to this age. Now, when kids go to middle school or high school, parents will often say these words. will say, like, you don't have to go along with the crowd. you know, Or just because your friends are doing it doesn't mean you have to. The reason we do that is because at that age, peer pressure is strong, right? And you're all kind of packed into these rooms with one another. Like, it's just hard. And so you might call high school or middle school, you might call it an age, okay? I like guess it's this period of time that has a distinct character to it, and it wants to pull you in, doesn't it? And it's been, it's been this way for generations. Parents have been saying those things to their kids for generations. Don't be conformed. To this age is basically what we're telling our kids. But if you've been to high school or middle school, you, you know it's hard. Like there's all these things, all these forces at work. There's an entire ecosystem that punishes certain behavior and rewards others. So it's difficult. We're tempted to compromise our values sometimes. That's what Paul is saying about our age. He's saying, don't be conformed. He wants us to know this. We live in one age, but we belong to another. We live in one age, but we belong to another. And and so how do we let our hearts be shaped by not the age we live in, but the one that we belong to? This brings me to my big point today. It's this. When we talk about discipleship, it's not enough to talk about spiritual growth or spiritual formation, some of the words that we often use, it's not enough to talk that way. We have to think about counterformation. There's something actively trying to get us. We must actively counter it. Discipleship is not just formation, it is counterformation in the way of Jesus. Now, I'm emphasizing this word counterformation to make it clear this. If you do not have practices and habits and community in your life to help you actively counter the formational pull of this age, you're losing the battle. If you do not have practices, habits, and community in your life to help you actively counter the formational pull of this age, you're losing the battle. There's no neutral, you're going one direction or another. So that means that our discipleship, our training, must have teeth in it. What we need are practices and relationships that counter this age and pull us towards Christ. Things that silence the voices of the world and amplify the voice of God. That's precisely what we've tried to do with our discipleship pathway. So let's talk about the discipleship pathway for a second. Everybody pull out your phone. Pull out your phone. Now join me. Go to Discipleship.guide on your browser. Discipleship.guide and it's going to look if you can see, kind of like this. A lot of orange. I'll give you all a minute to get there. If you're watching online, you should do this too. Discipleship.guide Once you're there, scroll down to the bottom and you will see We have seven chapters, we call them, Um, seven sections of this pathway. Um, For now, I'm just going to show you a couple things in the pathway real quick, just so you can kind of see the sort of things that we've got here. Uh, Go ahead and open the one that says Calling, and then tap Preview Calling. So that's number two, chapter two, Preview Calling. And then once you're in there, scroll down a little ways. And you're going to see something that says creating your timeline. Creating your timeline. And so you'll notice that you can tap and there's a thing you listen to. This one is Pastor Megan doing a little bit of teaching on how to create a timeline. And there's also a PDF of the teaching that you can read if you prefer. So let me tell you about this. Just to give you an example of something that you'll do in the pathway. What we mean by timeline. What you're going to do is with your discipler, you're going to Map out all the major turning points in your life. Like we call them like the, ch- the chapter turn, pa- like the moments where a chapter changes, okay? And uh, it can be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. It could be a tragedy. It can be a victory. All of those things matter. And so you're going to map those out on the timeline of your life. And then what you're going to do is you're going to try to discern what, what would I call this moment? What did it do in me? What are all of these things collectively doing in me? And it's amazing how once you prayerfully start to look back at your life, especially when you do it with another person who's praying with you, discerning with you, you might start to notice a pattern. Even the bad stuff, sometimes especially the bad stuff. And it's not that we believe God causes the bad things, it's that we believe God can use the bad things. He can redeem the bad things in order to make us who we need to be for him. And so you're going to start to trace a thread through your life. And and, and then at the end of it, you're going to create a life theme. Now, my life theme is awakening hearts and minds to the words of God. And as I did my timeline, I could see the turning points in my life where God was kind of sowing these seeds in my heart, that I'd become a person who's called to awaken hearts and minds to the words of God. Clearly, I mean, hopefully that's what I'm doing today. That's what I'm trying to do, right? And so now in my life, anytime I start thinking, ah, I've about had it with these people. I'm just kidding. I never think that. <laughs> no, any anytime that like the enemy starts saying, Phil, you could be so much more if you just did this or whatever, right? I think, nah. Uh, called to awaken hearts and minds to the words of God. That's what I love. That's what I was born to do. And it brings so much clarity. So much clarity. So there, there's nothing in the Bible that says to do this. By the way, there's lots of practices about like fasting, scripture, prayer, all that stuff. I just wanted to give you a taste of kind of one of the things that we do. Let's take a, look, a real quick look at another one. Uh, go ahead and hit back on your browser. Um, go to the scripture, the scripture one, number four, and click uh, preview scripture. So yeah, I know a lot of people will come into this and you're going to be like, I don't have, I don't, I've never read the Bible. I don't know anything about the Bible. Well, no worries. Uh, This thing's going to give you an overview of the Bible too. It's going to give you some tips and tricks on how to start reading the Bible. Um, So for, you know, right now you can see there's an outcome at the top. It says form a meaningful rhythm of scripture reading and study. So we're going to give you some tools through this. And by the end of this chapter, you'll have learned how to do two different ways of reading the Bible. One's called inductive Bible study, and that's just a method of reading the Scriptures that lets it speak for itself. And you're going to have done Lectio Divina, which is an ancient practice of discerning the voice of God and being formed through Scripture. And so you're going to have finished these simple exercises and have dipped your toe in some really crucial approaches to following God through Scripture. So listen, I show you those two things. There are tons more things like that in the Pathway. And if you take the time to partner up, get one-on-one with somebody, and actually take these practices seriously, it will change your life. You will get tools to be formed out of this age and into heaven. I mean, yes, you can do it and stumble through it and not really, you know, do the exercise as much. It's like, oh, I'm always so busy all the time. Like, you can do that and you might still have a really nice time. But for those who want something more, who long for the things of God, it's all there for you. Here's one more thing about the pathway I want you to know. The pathway isn't over until you take someone with you. It's not enough to just have been discipled. We got to make disciples. Our core value is not be discipled. It's make disciples. This whole thing is driving towards fulfilling what we have come to call the Great Commission. Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's our word, Age. In other words, Jesus say, look, I know the age you live in, but I am with you in it. When you make disciples, I am there with you in it. He promises to go with us when we go and make disciples. Let me ask you this rhetorical question. I don't need to see your hand or anything. Ask yourself this question. If you're a Christian, if you've been following Jesus, have you ever made a disciple? You ever discipled somebody? Ask yourself this question. You ever been discipled? If I had to guess, I would guess a lot of us just answered no to one or both of those questions. And that's the problem. That's the problem when we talk about the church in America or whatever. That's the hole. That's the gap that we need to fill. That's the thing we need to fix. We need to make disciples. Now, by the way, Jesus says another thing in here. He says to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that too. In fact, January 14th, we're going to have a baptism service. Uh, it's going to be at 4 p.m. at Westchester Evangelical Free Church. They're gracious enough to let us use their baptistry because i do not got to baptize you on the parking lot in January. I know how that's going to go. So on January 14th, we're going to have a baptism celebration. We're going to be worship. We're going to have refreshments. We're going to hang out. It's going to be a great time. already got a few people signed up to be baptized. But if you've never been baptized, if you follow Jesus and you've not been baptized, I can't emphasize enough how important this is. This is an opportunity to publicly declare that you follow Jesus, that he is your Lord, and it's an opportunity to experience the grace of God. So if you've never been baptized, please just write baptism on your connection card, or if you know someone that wants to be baptized or something like that, if you don't follow Jesus and you would like to follow Jesus, let's do it. Let's baptize you. Let's start this new journey in your life the way that the Bible says to do it. Repent and be baptized, Peter says in Acts 2. Mike Breen said this. He said, if you build a church, you might get disciples, but if you make disciples, you'll always get the church. You know what that means? It means that if you set out to build a church, you know, okay, we got to get a meeting space, we've got to start some programs, you know, we got to have our sound system, we got to have Sunday morning. Like, if that's how you do it, you might get disciples, but you might not. You'll get churchgoers, hopefully, right? You get programs, but you might not get disciples. You might not get people who are actively countering the formational pull of this age in order to hear the voice of God. But if you set out to make disciples, you will always get the church, 100 times out of 100, if you make disciples, you'll get church. Listen, I don't want to build a church. I want to make disciples. That's why we're doing what we're doing. I want a community who's invested in the counterformation in the way of Jesus. So let's chase it. Let's not be conformed. Let's be transformed. Let's offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And look what Paul says when we do this. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He says that when we offer ourselves fully to God, that we will be able to know God's will. And isn't that what we all want? Don't you ever, are you ever like, I wish I knew God's will? Yeah, you can. Dallas Willard said that the greatest danger to the church today is that of pitching our message too low. And what he means is that the greatest danger is that we settle for mediocrity. That we all just kind of agree to exist in this gray zone where we're always stressed and we're always kind of bummed out about our relationship with God and we're never really sure what God's saying or if he's speaking or if he's there. And we always just kind of feel guilty about stuff all the time and never really emerge victorious over it. Like that's the greatest danger, that we kind of sit in that mediocrity, in that gray zone right there. Listen, God does speak. And yes, you can hear him. And it must be our life's work to become the kind of people for whom hearing God is easy. The kind of people for whom, as Jesus says, obeying everything he has commanded is easy. That's discipleship. That's the kind of people we're called to make. People who are being transformed, not conformed. And so here's my invitation. It's the discipleship pathway. If you want to join us in this, tell us. Write pathway on your connection card today. Uh, pastor Megan, she's our discipleship pastor. She'll, she'll work hard to figure out who or what or what it's going to look like. It can be a little messy to like, you know, pair people up. And so if you have never been discipled, let us know. Write pathway on your connection card. Or if you'd like to disciple someone, let us know. Just write Pathway Interconnection card. We'll be in touch. But here's the best thing. The best thing is for you to simply go and pair up with somebody. The best thing is for you to, maybe we talked last week about your person of peace. Who is it that God is putting on your heart that you might be called to minister to? The best thing is for you to just say, God, give me grace, give me courage, give me strength, and go say, hey, do you want a relationship with Jesus? Or maybe you need to go to someone and say, hey, would you disciple me? That's the ideal for us, is that y'all would pair up and start walking through this. Let's make disciples. But let us know if you need help with that. Just write Pathway on your card, and we'll be in touch. Let's pray. God, thank you for the fact that we get to join you in this mission in the world of transforming, helping people be transformed. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves to you now as living sacrifices. May we be holy and pleasing to you. May you see us as a group of people that are willing, ready, anxious, and just ready to go, ready to be obedient to you. Lord, call us, speak to us, open doors for us and we'll walk through them. We love you, God, and I ask that you turn us into a kingdom force, a spiritual force that's going out into the world, doing battle, not against flesh and blood, but doing battle for your great name. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.